Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. Good afternoon, Zinger Nation. How are we doing? Producer AB here. We have a packed show today. As always, we got Frank Curzio coming up in a few minutes. After that, we have Dave Matza coming on from Direction ETFs, one of our favorite ETF companies. And then after that, we have CEO Paul Rivera of Electromechanica Vehicle Cord, ticker S-O-L-O, Solo. What's up, man? Luke, I, I wouldn't leave you here by yourself. Don't worry. Oh, it's okay. I was just going to say, Luke, uh, who usually hosts this show with Jason, Luke is at the dentist right now. Um, and I think he's a little bit scared of the dentist. So Jason went with him. Jason, actually, I, I heard Jason's the one drilling into his teeth. Yes. The, the Luke's dentist needed help. So Jason, oh, I'm getting zoomed in a little bit. We like that. Thank you, producer Rohan. Um, all right, Spencer. Well, what have you been, what have you been watching in the markets today? Uh, forget what I've been watching. Let's, let's see what Frank has been watching. Frank, let's get Frank on here. All right. It has been a wild, wild day. BTFD. Frank Curzio, talk to us a little bit about this. Hey. BTF, hey. BTFD, right, Frank? <laughs> How's that? Did I hear that correctly? You said that Luke is at the dentist? Yeah, you know, I mean, he, we had to drag him to the dentist. He, he didn't want to leave work to go, but, you know, dental emergencies happen. No days off on Wall Street, no excuses. And I'm making fun of him because he was actually on my podcast, which we published yesterday, Wall Street Unplugged. And uh, he came up with some really good ideas, and, and we had a great, great conversation. It was really, really cool. So it's funny. Wait, he didn't did, tell me he had a dentist appointment. Did, did I hear that you haven't missed a, sh- a week in like a 10 years, Frank? Did I hear yeah, that? I've been on a podcast of 14 years. I, I would say, I mean, I really don't remember. At least the last like eight, nine years at least, but I think maybe one or two, but I can't remember those. But yeah, so- you know. Yeah. So 52 weeks a year for 14 years. I know. Uh, it's pathetic, right? <laughs> <laughs> you said it, not me. You know what it is? It's the reason why we've been doing this for so long, doing the podcast so long, it is it's like a TV show, right? And a lot of people who do podcasts, they get excited and they get crazy and they do it. And then they're like, ah, I don't know if I want to do it a couple of weeks. Once you stop, you're done because nobody's going to come back. And, and I've always realized that. I tell everybody that. And people still start the podcast and think, oh, I'm going to do it once a month. You got to get it out there. You got to keep doing it. It's like a TV show and you get people excited. If it's not there next week, they're not going to come the next, the, the following week. So, uh, yeah, well, I've been pretty dedicated. So well, I know. Uh, you're like the Iron Man of, uh, of, of stock market podcast, but <laughs> no, enough about that. Enough about that. Let's talk about the market here, Frank. Um, there is in our morning show this morning in the chat, there is a lot of people were feeling a lot of emotions. People were, uh, pretty, upset fired up about the market being mm-hmm. suddenly down overnight um we are way less down now than we were a couple hours ago mm-hmm. uh let's just start we'll back up we'll start, talk about overnight what do you make of that if you want to call it a sell-off a one one point three percent sell-off in the overall market what, what do you make of that why why it could have happened and then we'll get into like what's happened since uh, it's kind of funny how a condition for having a bull market such a long time that yeah. we have a day that's down 0.8%. Everybody's like going, oh, it's crazy, yeah. right? <laughs> it just yeah. shows you how sentiment is now. Uh-huh. I think most of it's all BS. I mean, to be honest with you, it, it's a good opportunity to buy some really, really good stocks. 
we see this a lot, uh, a lot hit with, with Tokyo and the Olympics. And I mean, there's a lot of BS about the Delta strain going on. I'm someone that covered COVID extensively, got on board very, very early, uh, have lots of great doctors that, that have spoken to me, uh, interviewing people uh, on lockdown early in China uh, and in Italy. So very, very familiar with this. And when you look yeah. at Delta, it, it, first of all, the current vaccines protect against it. Uh, 3.2 to 3.3 billion people have the vaccine. Yeah. And Japan came out and said, well, we're not going to have any spectators because we think it could result in the possibility of spreading. And just to put that out there, uh, Japan, 1,600 cases per day they're seeing. That's based on their population. 1,600 If you look at their population, the UK has uh, 30% of the population, and they're seeing 24,000 cases per day. So just to put things in perspective of the news, uh, yes, it, it, it sucks that people's parents aren't going to be able to go and watch them at the Olympics. It's going to really be bad for Tokyo because it's going to lose a lot, a lot of money. But at the end of the day, we're reopening. Uh, and you're going to see names get hit because of this. And I think it's an opportunity to buy quality names like Delta. You know, I know it's a, yeah, or any airline, uh, you know, they're pushing lower. If you look at the airlines and look at Delta in particular, and yeah, this was when right before COVID, they were firing all cylinders. Stock was a little over 60. It's like, you know, low 40s today. So it's one of the few areas, especially the reopened trades that haven't gone back to their highs. And it was at 50. It came, it's come back down about 20%. Uh, you know, they're going to see massive orders. Anyone that's flying could see it. Uh, you know, they have the international exposure and internationals. Again, we're worried a little bit. Maybe the global growth's not going to be there because we have the Tokyo news overnight. Uh, but you know, to me, that's BS. It's going to open. Maybe it takes a, an extra month or two, a couple of months by next quarter. But once it does, these guys are going to see profits beyond belief. You're not even going to be able to get on a plane because people are still looking to get out there. Uh, that and another one because of this that sold off a little bit. Uh, you know, hotels in the U.S., like Red Rock Resorts is one that's kind of under the radar. If you look at that chart, we've been, been in it for a while. It's a great, great name. It has uh, off-strip casinos in uh, in Vegas. And these guys have done a fantastic job opening everything up, generating lots of money, doing great. And that pulled back about 10%. I think those are two names to buy. So when you look at news, guys, try not to – you want to analyze this stuff yourself and look at the, the facts and the details. I mean – you know, some people are going to disagree publicly or, or based on a, their politics uh, about COVID. Look, you want to look at the news, see if it's BS or not. This is kind of BS. Uh, and it gives you an opportunity to buy because at the end of the day, we want to make money. Well, if we're talking about uh, Tokyo and Japan and uh, implications of that, you know, he's probably having a not a good day is are the executives at NBC because we know there is a direct correlation between lack of fans and lack of viewers. So we have precedent for this. It, it wouldn't surprise me for a second if in a month or uh, two we get a lot of headlines, oh, viewership mm -hmm. down, viewership way lower than expected. Yeah. On, no, Comcast is obviously a huge behemoth. They have way more than just NBC going on they got cable all, all that stuff but but um if you're talking about just headlines and 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 that sort of thing and the implications of 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 japan specifically we know that lack of fans equates to lack of viewers so it wouldn't shock me for a second if we see that headline uh just trying to you that's know, great read, with those stats read I mean, into the tea leaves a little bit right yeah i mean being a sports fan it was hard to even watch NBA when it first opened, when you have no fans, they have the fake yeah. crowds there. It's true. It's, I mean, that that's the that's the buildup, right? That's what you like. You love, love seeing the crowd, whether it's against your team or for the team. It's just 
that's a big deal. And I wonder if they're going to do the open ceremonies to where everybody walks in, which is a big deal. And you have all the countries watching. We're going to have half the people there masks. It's, you know, it's just a terrible experience and all for, for something where I'm sure most of these athletes are vaccinated. And if they're not, they are not at risk at all because most of them are very, very good shape. And if they do have underlying risk, then, you know, they've gotten the vaccine. So it's just it's kind of a joke to me. Okay. Okay. So as far as the overall market, though, it, it's easier to say now by the dip because we've regained a bunch, uh, you know, a bunch of the losses from overnight. But this morning, and I, I you know, it, when you're in the moment, it, it 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 it's hard to be, you know, it's hard to look at a market down one and a half percent overnight when we haven't really had any sell off like that yet this year. And it, you know, I can understand the fear a little bit. I mean, look at that daily candle on the spy from today. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I can, you can understand it. Right. So you're saying you're coming in here and just buying blindly buying the dipper. Are there other things you're looking at? Because it's easier said than done. It's not that easy. To me, it is a little bit easy. I mean, what are we off of our highs? I mean, we're just near all-time right. highs, right? So right. we're off only a little bit here. It's a, right. But you're never going to time the market perfect to buy at the absolute low and be able to sell at, at the, the absolute high. Anyone tells you that is full of shit. So what you want to do here is look at the long-term outlook. Everything is going to continue to open. Uh, you know, I gave reasons for airlines, and maybe it comes down at 39, 38. But, you know, one thing that you want to do, because – I don't care how great of an investor you are. I don't care who you are. There's always emotions involved. If you don't have emotions, it's, it's insane, right? People say, well, we'll use technical analysis. You, you use technical analysis, you buy a stock, goes down tremendously right near your stop. You know, emotions come in and, hey, I, you know, maybe push it a little bit lower before we, we stop out or whatever. You got to take the emotions out. So how do you do that? Take smaller positions. Don't go all in. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen next month. I really don't. But I, I have a pretty good feeling over the next four or five months, the global economy is really going to open up and we're going to see massive, massive demand, which we're already seeing. I mean, and now that we're seeing massive demand, we're seeing, you know, United Airlines buy more planes, right? So good for Boeing, good for suppliers. Hey, you know, we're seeing all the trends that make sense. And the vaccine is being rolled out across the world, right? It's been out there for, for I mean, anyone can get it. Anyone who wants a vaccine can get it almost any, any country. Almost. There's some countries, of course, that wherever. Sure. But you know, we're going to open. And that's how I look at it, where, you know, if you're looking for a trade and do it, you know, if you're looking for a trade, buy overstock. I mean, there's lots of options out there that they're buying. Uh, you know, it just came up uh, on my systems. Uh, so, you know, they're buying, I think, the 90 calls or something like that. But there's of, you know, of overstock. Yeah, of overstock. Said, I mean, if you're OSTK. Yes. If you're looking for a quick trade and things like that. But for me, I look at, at like a three, six month outlook and the catalyst. Are they going to trigger in, uh, you know, over that that time period? And I'll push it out a little bit. But say if, you know, the market comes down another percent or two, uh, you want to have money in the sidelines. That That's how you become rich. That's what the great investors do. They buy when things are down and they sell when things are high. So if you're taking it, say, if you're going to buy a full position and you buy a third position, it said in Delta and I'm wrong and it comes down a little bit. Then you almost want it to come down. You're going to buy, you're going to lower your cost basis. Then, yeah. you know, you buy a little bit more, right? So I know well, technical analysis, don't ever buy when you're down. I'm just saying this has worked for me for 25 years where yeah. I have a thesis. I have a longer term thesis than, than most traders. Uh, and my thesis is, is, you know, GDP growth is going to be incredible. We're going to see earnings growth is going to be incredible uh, for most sectors. Yeah. And more and more people are going to be traveling like crazy. And that's going to be very, very good for the airlines. And they're still well off their COVID highs. And you can't say that for a lot of stocks, especially okay, what, the real what, trades. What do you say to the people that are like, so the you know, overall market is not far off all time highs, but there are people that are in stocks like AMC, which is, I know you had the green candle today, but you know, AMC, Tesla, people that are, that are well underwater in these things. Right. Uh, and stocks that were in favor and are now just massively out of favor here. Uh, what do you say to those people? 
right now? Um, I'm going to look at the chart of AMC because I haven't looked where it's trading. But it's up about 5 6% today right now. Okay, yeah, so it's, I mean, it's, it's down, basically it's down. 47. I just want to see this right here. Yeah. Um, it's having I mean, a good day. I mean, underwater, they would have to, you know, you know, you, you can't really say anything for AMC because, you know, to buy a company like AMC, uh, just to put in perspective, you look at AMC and I did some analysis on this. So sorry if you know, it's around these numbers, but it's 11 billion in 2018, 11 billion in sales. They had 11 billion in, in total box office receipts. Uh, that was uh, a record. And this company had a market cap that was about 20 X lower than it is today. Uh, just to show you, so you, you, you know, you're buying this stock right now. Uh, you know, you're going to get what you deserve, right? I mean, and hey, you're going to buy it and it's going to go up and you had the Reddit crowd, but just know that we're up to a billion, just past a billion in box office receipts. Uh, maybe we get to three billion, three and a half billion by the end of this year. But remember, when we were 11 and a half billion, this company's market cap was probably about 85, 90% lower than it is today. So a lot of expectations are built in. So if you ask me, what should should they do when they're underwater? If you're buying this stock, I would anyone buying AMC, GameStop. I mean, look, I hope you made a ton of money. I hope everybody makes a ton of money. But if you're buying these stocks, you have to look at it where I'm risking like at least 60, 70% of my capital to to generate two, three, four hundred percent returns. Yeah. That's how you have to look at it. And so you should be expecting this, these pullbacks. So I mean, I'm not gonna tell you to buy AMC here because Again, it's not trading on fundamentals. It's not even trading on technicals. It's just trading on whether, you know, who's going to buy the Wall Street uh, uh, bets crowd is now 10 million plus. I mean, this is a serious group that put Melvin Capital back practically out of business, right? Which is a 12, $11, 12 billion fund that needed, you know, to be recapitalized. So uh, for the AMCs and what do I tell those people? Listen, you're taking on that risk. You should expect this. And most of those people like to hold these stocks, right? That they're hodlers, uh, you know, and you hear that. Even the, the early game stoppers and, and, the AMCs, those two stocks, well, I don't think that they're going to sell those. Even no matter what they hear from someone like me, they're not going to sell, I don't think. Um, yeah, and so Frank, you mentioned too that you expect the global economy to grow over the next you know, three, six months. Do you expect proportionally the, the U.S. economy to grow um, at a faster rate than other countries, or do you think it'll all kind of be, be similar? Well, we're, we're all open now, right, basically. Every state's basically open. Uh, they tried to keep us closed. They did everything that they can, but now, now we're open. So we're going to grow a lot faster than everybody else. I think we handle it in some areas much, much better. I mean, I live in Florida. I handle it great. I kept the economy open. Our numbers are the same every place else. And, uh, you know, schools were open. Everything was great. When I look globally, I mean, Japan, very surprised at that news. So that's why you're seeing a setback and you should, but the bigger thing is the global trade, right? Holy cow. It, It, I just read a report from city. I mean, it's it's going to last a lot longer than what people are saying, and companies aren't reporting this. They're not really reporting this, uh, and there's a lot of companies getting affected because the prices are up tremendously. It's at 100% capacity. We're looking at double the triple amount of time. If it takes 30 days for that U.S. China, it's it's taken like 75 days, and it hasn't eased up. It's going to go into next year, and when it goes into next year, what does that put into play? Which no one's talking about because it's July is the holiday season, which is the biggest season for all companies. That's one of the biggest worries I have. Uh, I just went car shopping and I could tell you that if you're going to buy a car with your specs, I'm talking about just your color where they have to build it. You're not getting it for nine months, at least nine months. They're going to tell you four to six. Maybe it's going to be nine months. I ordered a mattress three months ago. I just got off the phone with them. They still don't know when it's coming three months. They said it was going to come in eight weeks. So, 
everything's really delayed and you're looking at, at globally, it, it's going to take some time. But like I said early, it is going to open up eventually. And, and a lot of these countries are opening up, whether it's, you know, around Europe, Europe's starting to open up a lot. So uh, globally, you know, I'd stick to U.S. companies right now. I think U.S. is going to do fine. You're going to see huge GDP growth. And you've seen out of the U.K., you've seen it out of uh, a, a lot of the EU. So you will see strong growth in some areas and maybe, you know, it'll take a little bit longer in, in, in other areas like, like Japan. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think right now the United States, we have some strong vaccine numbers relative to other countries. So it'll be interesting to see if that relates to a faster uh, GDP growth here than, than in other countries overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Frank. Well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we appreciate it. Frank and his uh, podcast, wall street unplugged is the sponsor of today's episode. And Frank, you just dropped an episode with our very own Luke Jacoby. Um, so I will drop that link in the chat. And if you guys want to go check it out, you know, subscribe to Frank's podcast, leave a review. He says uh, Luke was great. I'll have to go listen to it to, uh, to <laughs> and see. It's not, because, it's not because I have to say Luke's great because I'm kind of on his show. He was really, he was good. He gave some, three great ideas. And you can also find that uh, WSUpodcast.com is, is even a quicker way. So, uh, yeah, it was very good and, and three really cool ideas. So I had a lot of fun with Luke and, and I think he enjoyed it. So it was, it was definitely a good, uh, good right. podcast. Thanks a lot, Frank. Awesome. Right. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. We'll see you next Thursday. <laughs> All right. Take care. All right, we got our next guest waiting. We should bring him on, Dave Mazza, the managing director and head of product at Direction. Dave Mazza, how are we doing? Good afternoon. Doing well. Happy to be here. Uh, let me bring up a table here of some Direction funds. Looking over the last week, get- Spencer, we're here to talk about the cannabis ETF. Correct, Dave? We don't have we don't have cannabis wow. uh, in the lineup yet. Um, oh, so working on it though. Always working on new always- ideas. Direction, you guys, whenever you guys drop a filing, and so you guys are like ahead of the filing trend, I feel like. You guys are always the first one on a, whenever there's a new theme, you've always got the filing right there, ready to go. Um, I've got a table up here of Direction's um, uh, ETFs looking over the last week just to get an idea of what's working out there, what's not working. Obviously, the Yang is your top performer, the bearish China fund. No real surprise to see that up top. Um, Dave, what trends jump out to you right now? Well, I think, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Certainly, uh, we know that there's this confluence events impacting markets right now. We saw, you know, all-time highs being hit on uh, seven, eight days across the board. And then now we see what's happening with the 10-year and everyone's freaking out, even though the S&P 500 uh, still, you know, uh, 13 and a half, 14%, depending upon the tick. What we're certainly seeing, though, is activity in our funds has increased markedly. So, Anytime there's volatility, volume goes up in the leverage and inverse ETFs. This China move, I think, is underpinning a lot uh, of what we're seeing. And what I mean by that is everyone, of course, is focused on inflation, focused on the Fed. But it's always these kind of cracks in the system. And many people weren't expecting, of course, an IPO uh, with such fanfare to then uh, come down as hard as it hit because uh, as hard as it did because of the crackdown uh, on the cyber side. And of course, that means that people are taking the bearish bet on China-related names. Yeah, um, actually, that's a good point. Can we let's zoom out for a minute here? And and you know, you were you were talking about overall volume in your funds being up. Um, you know, I kept saying it felt like for the past couple of days at least we were in like 
the summer doldrums. It was quiet. You know, we're in between earnings season. We, you know, we got through a Fed meeting and there wasn't really that much going on. Uh, you know, today obviously is a bit of a different story. But like overall, based on trading activity in your funds, uh, you know, as you just said, it tends to go up when there's volatility. What what have the past few weeks shown you? Because it felt quiet to me. It was. It definitely had come. It come back. Uh, came. Uh, came back down to earth. Uh, what we usually earnings season is one of the times where we see most activity in our leverage and inverse ETFs. Really, for two reasons: yeah. folks taking bullish bets uh, yeah. over the, over the short term on you know, banks coming next week or semiconductors starting on the nineteenth, or people using um, the three X funds as a very very short term hedge. Let's say you have a lot of exposure to financials right now. Uh, certainly been a tough couple of weeks for you, or you have a lot of exposure to semis. They've done great. You don't want to sell those winners. Uh, you want to use a short-term hedge in case something turns against you when some of those names report. Um, that's how we see the usage. So the period prior to that, uh, the periods prior to that, I should say, were consistent. The one area that we continue to see activity um, really through positive and negative returns had been on the semi side. So what I have been saying is that, you know, we know that most market strategists were out there, you know, calling maybe correctly that growth was going to come back down to earth and value would do well. People, traders continued to focus on the bull side of semi. So taking Sox L over Sox S, I've said this nearly every opportunity to, to, to any folks who will listen. When that changes, um, you know, that, that would tell me a lot about the market, but it can, people were keep, kept buying the dips essentially. That I thought was a really interesting theme. That was the one area that we saw a lot of activity, uh, even as some of the other parts of the suite came back down. Very interesting. So, so what you what you're saying there is that people were they were taking the XL over the XS, the, the bullish over the bearish, or or has that turned? It 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 turned a little bit yesterday, to be quite oh. honest. But but okay. one day doesn't necessarily make a trend. Yeah. Um, so. Basically, even if you were, uh, when you were doing well, money kept pouring into the bull side. When you were doing, even even on days where traders maybe have taken a hit, they just stuck with it and actually bought more of it. It's very rare for us to see that with the pairs. Again, most people will 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 use one over another depending upon what's happening. The other area that we saw this uh, continue to see activity. We have. They're, they're a bit lesser known, but it's HIBL and HIBS. What this is, is leverage exposure to the, S the 100 highest beta stocks in the S&P 500 on every, every month. Um, so the, the, the yeah, actual so portfolio, portfolio changes okay. with that. That's an area, again, right now you're going to see a lot of the airlines, a lot of the energy stocks in there. That's an area where people kept taking the, uh, the, the bullish side. Uh, again, much smaller than, of course, our, our semiconductors ETF, but an interesting yeah. area that we're starting to see a lot of activity. What, what about energy here? It's sort of been, you know, it, it, it's been strong. It, it, it's been strong. I'm curious what you've seen. You guys have a few energy funds as well. Um, what are you seeing on that front? Yeah, so uh, Gush and Drip are kind of our oil and gas plays, a little bit narrower than um, uh, ERX or, or uh, uh, the um, the broader uh, the broader just kind of S&P uh, energy sector. Yeah. That's an area that, uh, you know, obviously, yeah, look at the chart right there. You know, as oil prices continue to go up, people were calling for a $100 barrel of oil. We saw the energy stocks do consistently well. What's interesting, you know, look at some of the gaps down, though, over the last few days. 
I think the, the the tell on the market is really what happens to the dollar, what happens to rates, and then what's happening to the to oil and the commodity space. Uh, and if these charts don't hold their averages uh, or their prices of support, I think this comes back down to earth really, really sharply, even though energy is actually a relative outperformer today in some ways. Um, I would keep an eye on this, again, if you're actually looking for this to be a tell of more of a kind of macro point of view as opposed to just what's going on in the energy space. Um, but really, um, gush, gush and drip, again, two areas that have uh, gush is the bull side, drip is the bear side, significant activity the last couple of weeks. You're talking with clients all the time, right? So I'm, and, uh, you know, uh, money managers, advisors, what, what is the tone? What is the sentiment in those conversations? Obviously, they're, they're talking to you about how to incorporate your funds in, into their strategies and, and, and so forth. But, but what is the feeling? Are they mostly asking you about, you know, the, the bull side, the bear side? Obviously, the, you know, you have to be nimble to use these products in the first place. But what is the tone on, on these calls? I'd say, yeah, uh, great point. You have to, anyone who's looking at these products, you have to be prepared to monitor them on a highly frequent basis. They're not intended to be long-term holdings. Look at that drip chart, right? Basically has continued to go, go down consistently um, right. because look at, look, look at can you compare that to, to the best chart. However, what I think is really interesting, if you look at the ratio of our assets, so if I combine all of our bull funds relative to our bear funds, it's never been greater. So meaning there's that much more money on a daily basis being put to work on the bullish side versus the bearish side. So this tells me at the highest level, sentiment remains really bullish. We continue to see by the dip mentalities because frankly, even the corrections, if you want to call them that, have been short lived. I do think we find ourselves in an environment that we probably remain in kind of a buy the dip mentality for the rest of 2021. As we get to 2022 and we get through, again, kind of these earnings seasons that are going to see tremendous numbers, it, it's going to be really hard for companies to continue to put up the numbers that they're seeing. I think this is going to be another great earnings season. Uh, 2022 is where the murkiness happens for me. And that's actually you know, why, we're, why I'm, I'm beginning to look out at some of these kind of micro indicators to see if anything's breaking there. Um, but frankly, Today is, I think, a confusion in the market because, frankly, people were loving the lower rates. Now they've gotten almost too low, um, breaking that 1.25 handle in the 10-year. Um, so sentiment broadly remains bullish. Um, I would say no one's really asking us too much about the bear side of the headshot yet. Of huh. course, that could that could change um, going forward. Okay. On the non-leveraged front, you guys have a couple of uh, thematic ETFs that, that perfectly encapsulated um, – the trend of the last year uh you have the moonshot and then you have the wfh right the the work from home etfs um very interesting divergence i know they have different exposures um but can you talk about that because the work from home is you know you the chart speaks for itself and the moonshot that that one speaks for itself too right uh so uh you've seen this divergence in 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 those two um what, what do you make of that yeah here's what's really interesting so well, you had that work from home chart up there, right? Yeah, we work from home just celebrated its one year anniversary last Friday. So we launched it on June 25th, 2020, 2020. Yeah. You, if you were to go back through Twitter, um, everyone's saying top of the market for remote work, economy's yeah. reopening, <laughs> right? Guess what? They were right. Vaccines rolled out. Economy's uh -huh. improved. 
Certainly airline stocks rebounded, but all along the way, what continued to do well, remote work stocks, because really what they're doing is empowering the future of work. You don't necessarily need to have an economy 100% shut down or 100% reopened for the name for the names in this. Uh, you know, if uh, names like Eight by Eight and Zoom, um, and even Google uh, on on the cloud side, Fortinet, um, uh, CrowdStrike to continue to do well. So this fund has vastly outperformed the broader market. I think it continues to set up uh, you know, breaking some resistance levels, um, uh, which which is really positive. So. Even if you believe in the reopening thesis, the names of this portfolio, it being concentrated with 40 stocks, can continue to do well. Um, so I actually think that we're actually setting up potentially for uh, a longer run uh, uh, um, outperformance in remote work. Moon, a bit of a different story to your point. Came out of the gates really strong when we launched it in November. We just had a rebalance of the portfolio, though once, uh, sorry, a reconstitution. So once a year, we go through and re-identify the names that, that are based off of our methodology, which again, focus on early stage innovation. So these are really mostly, we'll, we'll kick out companies that are large caps. Uh, we'll kick up companies uh, that aren't spending on research and development relative to, to sales. And Moon's Basket, from a thematic perspective, saw a real a decrease in the genetic engineering and cybersecurity names a big increase in autonomous and electronic vehicles. So um, CRISPR was added to the portfolio, but also a name like Nikola, RMO, Solo were added. They were not there before. Um, and we, you know, we sold out of some of the, um, some of the other names that, that had seen, that saw a significant run up. Um, so I think Moon will be very dependent upon the environment for growth, uh, for people to begin to pay up for growth. It's kind of again probably testing some of its its support levels um, that that we had seen before. If it holds those, I think that's very telling that that the momentum for these type of small cap growth companies can continue to do well. All right, Dave Mazza is the managing director and head of product at Direction ETFs. Joining us show periodically, dropping some knowledge. Uh, Dave, we appreciate the time. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Talk soon. All right. All right, uh, let's get that moon chart off there. Let's go to our next guest. The show is moving. We are moving quick today, guys. Luke is at the dentist. Jason's the one doing the drilling. It's a whole thing. I don't want to get into it now. Let's bring on our next guest. Though. We do have Paul Rivera, the CEO of Electromechanica, here in the waiting room. I'm going to bring him on. Ticker S-O-L-O. Paul, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever in the world you are. How's it going today? I'm doing great, Spencer. How are you doing? We're doing great. We are doing great. We've got some excited people in the chat waiting to hear from you. Uh, a lot of people are looking forward to this interview. So um, you and I spoke uh, about 11 months ago, um, and a lot's happened since then at a high level. Give us an update. What has happened since then? Oh, man. You're right. A lot has happened in that period of time, right? So I guess uh, going backwards, the biggest thing that's happened is we've broken ground in our facility here in uh, Mesa, Arizona. So that's probably the biggest piece of news, right? So as uh, you know, we we were looking for a long time for a site to have a U.S. Assembly Operation and Engineering Technical Center. And uh, it, it took us a long time, right? We started by looking at seven states and seven potential candidates and got it down to between Tennessee and Nashville area of Tennessee and then uh, the Phoenix and Mesa area of Arizona. And we ultimately decided on 
Mesa, Arizona. We're really excited that we did that. And they just made an offer that was really, really compelling for us. And so we broke ground last month here. And um, that's really, really uh, key for us because now it puts us into position to provide a made in the U.S. product. It uh, gives us uh, globally support, globally supported you know, logistics and supply chain. It puts us near our target market, which is on the West Coast. So we're off and running. It'll take 14 months to build our plant here, but that's just really exciting for us. And we're now hiring locally talented engineers, and uh, that's big news for us here. What, what exactly was so difficult about, about finding a location? Well, I mean, especially when it got down to Nashville and Mesa, there was a lot of things that were challenging about those two specific locations because, as you know, Nashville is an automotive hub, right? And, and there's a lot of good reasons why uh, somebody would choose Nashville. There's a lot of uh, supply chain there. There's an automotive industry that's already there. But let's be honest, also, when it came to Arizona, Arizona has a great emerging EV and tech space. And uh, Sandra Watson and the Arizona Commerce Authority and Governor Ducey have done a great job attracting jobs and talent here. And they're bringing companies like Intel, Taiwan Semiconductors here, and they're bringing other companies like, you know, Waymo and Blink here. And, um, you know, it was just for us at the end of the day, this made more sense for us. So a compelling piece of land, a compelling overall offer for us. It was closer to the West Coast. And that's our target market at the beginning here, you know, being near Los Angeles and near San Francisco and California and Oregon and Washington, all key markets for us. And, uh, you know, our home base is in Vancouver, right? So just overall, this was a much better spot for us. Okay. So we've got uh, a site. Uh, and as far as getting down the line into production, uh, so uh, someone in the chat asked, uh, Mario asked, uh, hoping you can drop some great news about the solo. Um, where are we as far as next steps, though? Now, remember, so this site is for U.S. production. It's 14 months down the road. I don't want people to forget. We already have one facility, and it's in Chongqing, China. Right. And so we're already up and running at that facility. And over the last, um, over the last 10 11 months, we have been producing the vehicle and we've opened now um, nearly 20 retail locations in five Western states in 10 metropolitan markets. We've started to really show the vehicle now. We've conducted countless test drives. We're pu putting the vehicle out there and starting to build awareness. We're showing the vehicle to not only retail customers and to fleet customers as well, right? We're really starting to build out about, we're really starting to build out and show our ecosystem. And there's really three prongs to the ecosystem, which is, you know, one is the, the, the direct to consumer model. And the second one is all about the fleet side, the commercial and fleet side, which we've talked a lot about. The fact that this vehicle, you take that hatchback off and you put a cargo box on the back of that vehicle, and it's the perfect vehicle for, for everything from fast food franchise delivery and pizza delivery and doing things like security companies and tech repair. That's what this, this vehicle is going to be uh, really well known for. And then the last part of the ecosystem is the idea that you could share this vehicle, right? The idea that you walk up and with your iPhone or with your Android device, you could take it off of an EV infrastructure and you could take it for two hours or you could take it for four hours, especially in high rise residential complexes or in college campuses and share it. That's what makes this vehicle and this company unique and different than any other company. And so over the last 
10 to 11 months, Spencer, that's what we've been doing, right? And we've been just working out and doing fine tuning and tweaks so that we're getting ready to put the vehicle in the hands of customers. And we'll do that starting with our plant in China. So we'll start to deliver to retail customers from our plant in China first while we're bringing the U.S. plant online. Uh, so as far as those retail locations, I know you're in uh, you're in Mission Viejo, you're in Seattle, um, uh, you're in Sacramento, uh, Portland. Um, I know there's more I'm not naming, but Seattle, Denver, Colorado. We just opened up uh, Denver recently. We're in Scottsdale and, and Chandler. We're we're you know we're coming out all over the western part of the United States now and starting to really build awareness. Hey, can you give us an, some sort of insight as far as as far as what has what has demand been like at those locations? Yeah, I mean it's been it's been very very interesting because at the beginning, remember these retail locations were during COVID, right? So it was right. a real challenge because we were fighting COVID and opening up retail locations during restrictions and during a restrictive flow of traffic in malls, especially in California, which was a real tough tough situation. Now, as things um, as things started to really open up. Now the flow has really increased and the interest has uh, really started to ramp up. Now, the other thing that's changed, too, is we've gone from moving ride and drive events to starting to populate our retail locations with test drive vehicles themselves. Right. So locations in Southern California now have vehicles where you can go and actually test drive and those are more permanent uh, vehicles that are there for test drives. So the demand has been quite, quite uh quite interesting. It's been ramping up and that's on the direct to consumer side. Now, the other thing that's been really interesting is our fleet and commercial um, demand has really ramped up. And now that's not direct to, to consumer. On that side, we have built a fleet department and we're aggressively going after those companies that get it, right? This vehicle's perfect for 100 mile urban driving range, top speed of 80 miles per hour. And if you think about it, how many times do you see in urban environments fleets where there's just one person in the vehicle, especially when you come when you're talking about to pizza delivery or fast food franchise sure. prescriptions and things like that? Sure. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, you talked about all the use cases, whether it's delivery, carpoolings, whatever. What kind of conversations are you having on the B2B side? Uh, and and do we have any firm, you know, contracts or, or what? Yeah. So we, we're, we're down all the way down to talking with companies that are small municipalities on one side, right down to parking enforcement and down to talking about pool vehicles with small municipalities and towns, all the way to dealing with some large nationally known fleets on the other side. Each of these fleets wants something unique in the vehicle, right? Once you, once you uh, take off the hatchback and put on the uniquely styled cargo cap in there, then they also want things like forward-looking cameras, or they want anti-theft protection, or they want, in the case of fast food delivery, you know, maybe some heat, heated uh, compartments in the back or the ability to, to uh, tie into their kitchen management services or delivery management services. Yeah. And the vehicle has some pretty sophisticated telematics already, so it's not hard for us to do that. So we are having a lot of conversations with a plethora of fleets across everything from small, very, very small municipalities all the way to nationally known fleets. Is there the potential down the road, though, for, you know, partnerships with company, I don't know, like like Uber, Uber for example, or, yeah. or, or Domino's yeah. or whatever? Yes, I, I do see that. And 
but but I'm 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 also realist in the sense that what I see happening, Spencer, if I'm honest, is I see that some some of these fleets are going to want to test the vehicles first and build use cases out of the vehicles first, build some modeling from from our numbers first, right? Uh, from you know from a number of these vehicles first, drive the vehicles around first, and then what I think they'll want to do is they'll place orders based on the next evolution of the vehicle because they want a say in what that evolution of the vehicle is going to be, right? They want the opportunity to really give some input into the next vehicle, and then and the next vehicle is already being being designed, right? Because it takes a while to design a vehicle, and even though we're putting this one on the road today. The next evolution of the vehicle, which is planned for late 23, early 24, is already in the works and being designed. And fleets are already talking to us about, well, can you have more cargo space? Yeah, it can be slightly longer. Can you have these additional features in it? So I already see where this is headed. A uh, question from Ben in our chat here. Uh, can you share, do you have a timeline on when you will actually have vehicles in customers' hands? Yeah, I think that it's imminent. And I know people get frustrated with me, but but here's the reality. And, and this is what I've said all along. You know, we don't have the luxury of being a General Motors or being a Ford or one of these larger companies that have had, you know, X many vehicles before and many years of doing this before. Right. So we get only one chance the first time to make a really good first impression. And when you're building a a vehicle the first time and the engineering the first time you have to get it right and then also when you're when you're putting brick and mortar in place as we are and when you're building customer service and when you're making sure that the after sales is going to be handled the right way all of that's got to be planned the right way and i've been around this business for more than 30 years and i've seen what's worked and what hasn't and so everything from just making sure that when we hand those keys over the first time that the vehicles not only perform, but we can handle the customer care afterwards is important to me. And I know that that, that, um, that, that drives people crazy, that, that I'm careful about it, I'm calculating, and uh, that we're being very careful as a company, but we wanna make sure we get it right. But it is very close. We're very, very close, because you can see we're executing against the plan. We said we put them in retail kiosks first, which we've done, and then do fleet demonstrations, which we've done. Now we're actually starting to put them in permanent test drives, which we're now doing. So you can see that it's very close to being in the hands of customers now. Yeah, I think people want specificity, which you know you're not always able to provide. Um, yeah, it's tough. It's tough because we also have some things against us. Being very honest for for the investors that are on the on the call. Yeah, being very honest, there are some things that are out of our control. For example, there have been you know, the uh, silicon chip problem that was out of our control. I'll tell you that another problem that's been out of our control is the logistics nightmare coming out of China right now with COVID shuts, shutdowns at the port, uh, ports in China, right? That I'm not in our control. So there are things that are also outside of our control. So we have our own internal, you know, milestones and hurdles that we're going over. And then on top of it, we've got some things that are out of our control that we're battling as well. As far as the, the chip shortage, um, can you speak a little bit about how specifically that has that has impacted you as far as delays and, and you know, if you have specific numbers as far as, you know, how just how it's delayed you guys or or, yeah. or increase your costs or whatever? Yeah, well, I think costs are going up in the automotive industry all around anyway, but more, more specifically about how it affects um, even a company like ours, it's just interesting that you don't realize how many uh, human interfaces involve those chips, right? Everything from the radio that's in the vehicle 
to the navigation, or I mean, to the um, the radio that's in the vehicle, to the uh, instrument cluster that's in the vehicle. All of these things require those chips, right? So even though we're a much smaller player with smaller volumes, it does still affect us. And as you can imagine, the larger companies that are pushing those very same suppliers um, are are putting demands on those suppliers to to suit those needs first, right? So we're we're pushing as well, and we're in line, and we're doing the best we can to assure that we still get our needs met as well. Wait, I'm just curious. Um, you know, you guys do you do produce cars in China right now? Um, with what we've seen in the past couple of days and weeks, uh, with them cracking down on on uh, companies like Didi, you know companies that listed on, on U.S. exchanges, uh, you know, it seemed like for for a minute there, U.S.-China tensions had, were on the back burner. Uh, maybe, you know, as they step up their regulation efforts, uh, things get a little bit um, hotter on that front. Uh, do you have any concerns about that as, as far as how those geopolitical tensions could impact you guys and your, your production timelines? I'm not too concerned right now. I think that we're covered for the for the volumes that we're talking. Because remember, I've always said that, that in our case, you know, we, we're we're in we're in a situation right now where we've got a great subcontractor. Our volumes, um, I don't think we're going to be impacted in, over the next year and a half to two years. And we're building a facility in Mesa, Arizona. And I've always said that the reason why we're going to put that facility in Mesa was to mitigate against the risks of China and against the tariffs and things like that, on top of a number of other issues and taking advantage of a U.S. talent pool and a global supply chain and all these other things and having a made in USA product. But I'm not really worried right now. I have to be honest with you. I think that we're positioned well. We have not heard from our partner any concerns whatsoever. My biggest my biggest push right now is just getting those vehicles across the pond more expediently and being able to start to deliver into the hands of customers. And then just one more for you. Um, you know, ha- have you heard from investors, you know, about just and this isn't related to you guys specifically, but, you know, EV stocks, uh, you know, all these new car companies were massively in favor for for a while. They they're out, became out of favor now. Uh, have you heard from investors sort of not that you can control your stock price, but have you heard of, about like, can you guys like hurry up or whatever? Because like, you know, a lot of people got caught up in this frenzy last year and uh maybe you know you know are paying the price a little bit now it's across the across the board here not just specifically to 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 you um and but have you heard about you know frustration from the investors side of things you know i i think that uh as a ceo you always bear the brunt and you can appreciate this right as the ceo of an ev company Probably any company when the stock is when the stock is up, you're, you're always in good good favor, and when it's down, you always get the calls, right? Yeah. But as a, as a whole, the industry, as you point out, has been through its ups and downs over the last year. I will say this: I will say that the whole world is still moving and marching towards electrification. There is no doubt that that is occurring, right? There are so many mandates and initiatives coming from different. Uh, countries. If you look at automotive, uh, at, at auto news, they're predicting by the time you get to 2025, I think they said that, that uh, more more than half of all sales of automobiles will be electrified. I mean, there's staggering numbers. 
you look at what Bloomberg is saying, right? It's just a fact. We're headed towards electrification overall. So there's a lot of new startups in the space. I do think there'll be consolidation along the way too. I think some players will fall out. I think we have a very compelling story when you think about what we have. We have a vehicle here that suits a very specific need. It is the most efficient tool to move a person from point A to point B in a 100 mile range and a top speed of 80 miles per hour. But it's an attainable price point that's appealing to consumers, that offers something for fleets and for utilities and commercial applications, and it can be shared, right? And so for us, I'm not too worried because I think that we're positioned well. We've got sufficient cash in the bank right now to, uh, to execute against our plan for the next three years. And I'm excited about where we're headed, right? And I just keep telling the investors that we're going to execute against our plan and we're going to build credi credibility by doing just that, keeping our heads down and executing against our plan. I, I think I think it's fair to say that it's early days. It's fair to say that you guys are, are a show me story. You have to show me. And I think you acknowledge that. And so we're going to have to just wait and see how things shake out. Uh, Paul Rivera is the CEO of Electromechanica. You can see chart up on the screen. He's ticker S-O-L-O. -O. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for joining us today on the Power Hour. We'll talk to you again. Yeah, thanks, Spencer. Right. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right. Next time we get you on, we'll hopefully be up in production uh, or yeah, at least closer to it in uh, on, on the U.S. side. Thanks a lot, Paul. Um, well, well, we'll keep tabs on Solo. Guys, we'll keep tabs on Electro Mechanica as we do all the companies we have on this show um, and get them back on down the line. And hopefully things have progressed for them. Uh, okay. It is 12.52. We've got about... 20 minutes before our next guest at 1.15. The plan for today's show, if you're just joining us, uh, Luke Jacoby is at the dentist. Uh, Jason is the one doing the teeth cleaning slash drilling. So uh, they are both out today. You got myself. You got producer AB. God even knows where he is right now. He doesn't respond to my slacks. He doesn't. I don't know what he's doing right now. Um, supposed to be on this show, but, you know whatever so uh let's go back to the charts let's go to the over let's go to uh, my scanner my when in doubt always look at the benzinger pro scanner see what's up what's down um in the last few minutes uh oh is root going guys is root moving a chart yeah root's starting to go okay big volume big volume AMC went green. I mean, there. Yeah, I was wrong. Damn, was I wrong or was I wrong? I was very suspicious of that green candle into ten o'clock. Very suspicious of that. Okay, I was wrong. AMC is looking good. Buy the dip for the moment is working. Yeah, WTF is right, James Adams. Nothing really makes sense, right? Nothing really makes sense. That's all. That, that's the best way to say it, right? Um, because if you look at the AMC chart, right? I mean, I just lost a bet with Dennis Dick. I was, you know, I said I said AMC would hit sixty-seven before it hit forty. Um, I was wrong, and now I owe Dennis some donuts. But if you look at the chart, it doesn't look great. The past couple of days. This green can you you just oh man, Wait, what was the low on on, on June tenth? What was that low? Thirty nine seventy one. What's today's low? 
38.76. Okay, so a dollar below that. It doesn't look great, but by the dip, it it works until it doesn't, right? It's working today in all these things. AMC, you go to Wish. Um, if, you look, if you look at Wish from the open, right? You look at GameStop from the open. Um, I still have to buy donuts. Yes, I have to buy that. That was the bet. The bet was I owe Dennis. Um, a, I think we said we say a dozen donuts. I don't even remember. Well, a, a dozen U.S. Well, that's like thirteen Canada, right? Thirteen and a half, maybe. I don't even know where Dennis lives. So <laughs> Dennis doesn't have a house. He's he's homeless. He's like renting. Well, he's trying to build a new house right now. So. Um, I will get that. He said he 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 would like Tim Hortons. I have to find a location nearest to him, um, if they even have roads up there, and I will get him some, or maybe just a gift card. I don't even know, but I do owe Dennis a dozen donuts now, which is unfortunate for me. Um, oh, see, Mike Mike is watching his moving averages. Jason, I thought you were at the dentist. Um, the dentist canceled on me. No, no, okay. I saw you doing a good job. I saw you doing a good job. I, I, I saw you in here about an hour ago, and I or not an hour. Well, I saw you doing like your interviewing, and then I don't want to ruin it. Um, That's okay. You know, um, how is Luke? Because I, I know Luke is losing teeth pain. I, I sold more Tesla today, and that was probably dumb at six thirty-eight. Um, but this is a weird day in the market. I have to say, isn't it, Spencer, isn't it weird? I agree. Like super weird. Like so. One of the stocks that I have, GAN, G-A-N. Hey, let's talk about that one for a second. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So in Zynga Pro, they issued upside guidance. Yep. Here's the headline. Yeah. Do you want to – do you have it up? Yeah. I got the headline right there. This is after the close yesterday. They raised their Q2 sales guidance to a range of $34 to $35 million versus an estimate of $23 or just under $24 million. So they raised their sales guidance for the quarter and for the year. Uh, that was out last night. Here's the chart. You can see it right there. So what'd you do? So I sold a little bit of shares a couple of days ago. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, I still have the majority, but I definitely sold like 15% of the position two days ago, like at 1570. Because yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, if it goes on to 14, I'll buy more. And I was like, just trying to like be penny pound and pound foolish, whatever that saying is. So I'm a little annoyed, but I'm glad to see it's at the 1730 level. I wonder why they issued the guidance update, Spencer. Where they see in the stock low? Is there going to be another offering? I don't see it in the future, but it was interesting timing, um, to say the least. Okay. Um, but I still own, I don't know, 400 shares. I had 600. I still, or maybe I sold like 25%. So the other thing that, you know, Tesla did get some support again. Um, the, the, where I am taking a little bit of a hit is um, on like, you know, the um, Generac is down 1.41%. Our power's out. I'm staying at a house that has a generator from Generac, GNRC. Yeah. I will not sell Generac. I don't care. This stock, when I am, you know, I was going to say fully great, but I already am. I'm going to own Generac. Um, I just am. And I did make a couple other position trades. I've been trying to go a little bit more to cash. I, um, I sold my Delta today, which I still love Delta, but it just hasn't been trading the way I want it. So I want to free up cash and then be able to pound in on when I find like the next 
next big thing. I told you I bought Eli, which isn't doing much today. Eli, it's up. It's up one point one five percent, but um, nothing major. I just think I know that I listened to the last conference call the CEO gave, and he mentioned how you know they're having the best quarter ever, the best, 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 best. So my concern with the Eli trade is our expectations too high for it. I don't think they are. So I bought shares of that. I bought it in one increment so far. If I, if it breaks the 32 level, gets below 32, I'll buy another increment. And I bought call options. My calls are January 21's 35 or $40 strikes. Um, that's kind of what I have going right now. Okay. Uh, so who in chat just asked about oh, the, the blind trader asked about taste. This is one they. This is this. Oh is yeah. A, yep. Yep. Favorite I, I always say task, but maybe it goes taste makes more sense. Yeah, um, yeah the taste does make more sense. I don't know why I say task. So this is Carol's Restaurant Group. I've owned that since 189. Yeah. I'm keeping my position on this. Fluctuates a lot. I'm um, I'm staying there where it's at. It what did hit 610. So you are you are hurting a little bit. But um, I don't know. I, I, I think this company, you know, stabilizing this 536, I still see six from months from now, we're at 850 to 10. That That's what I think. They're reducing debt. They're lowering the debt covenants on it, you know, with the interest rates. And I think, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I still like taste. Um, I mean, one that I'm getting hit on today, it's a smaller stock guy. So, I don't want you guys just to go play it, but I'm getting hit on FGF today. So FGF is Kyle Seminara, who's supposed to come on my podcast. Yeah, there you got it. You got it. So what'd you say? I don't, I don't know this one. Yeah. So do you know how, Spencer, I've been talking about BTN sometimes? If you pull it up, it sounds like Big Ten Network, but it's not. BTN, it's balanced. Okay. Yeah. So this is these are, these are both the chairman is Kyle Seminara. He, he's taken OpFi public through a SPAC. Okay. And he has, and he, he um, FGF has done good well with lumber prices going up. So maybe lumber prices are down, and that's why it's selling off. When OpFi despacks, FGF will go up. I still think FGF will hit ten dollars. Um, I have a pretty big size position in this one, and I'm holding it because it's a mini, mini, mini like holding company that owns different assets, like a Berkshire Hathaway. The guy behind it, Kyle Simonera, who is friends with Warren Buffett, um, I'm up 62% on it. So I'm just holding on to it. I sold a little bit at 780, but I um, I think when that OpFi de-specs, that thing could be at $10. I'm not selling that one. The, the ones I've sold, Spencer, today, and just being completely open and honest, are ones that I've gotten impatient on. I mean, I said I sold some uh, Delta. Um, I sold some PSTH. Um, I really should. I, uh, what am I doing in this? I really should I, know this. And what since I also sold AONE. What am I doing if, here? Do you know what? If you ask me what AONE is, I don't even know. It was like some SPAC. And I just, I have too many positions. I want to go to a more concentrated portfolio. Hell yeah. And, and you do too? I, I'm always for reassessing the quantity of positions in a portfolio, whether it's too many or too little. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm always for that. Uh, I haven't sold, I haven't sold wind casino. I'm down 16% on it. Everyone I talk to who's going to Vegas is loving the win. 
I think they will have numbers when they report earnings. I looked in. Um, yeah, FGF does not have high volume. FGF has low volume. So that's why, Leah, I'm not saying trade that one here, just just so we're clear. I'm just telling you one that I'm getting. So when I what I do is I look, I open my account and I look, what are my biggest gainers and losers dollar-wise? My yeah. biggest loser today dollar-wise is FGF. That's why I mentioned it. Yeah. I'm not telling you to buy it whatsoever. It's a smaller stock and the liquidity isn't there. So if you're a big trader, please don't get into that. So I'm just telling you what I'm down I, the most. I, I didn't I didn't realize that you owned PSCH along with me. I what are we doing here, Jason? I, I, I don't I don't I don't know. And I was so into it and I'm just I'm Spencer, I'm trying to trim positions. And I know when you trim them, I'm going to have some ones that are huge gainers. I mean, think about how bad I screwed up Big Five Sporting Network, uh, our big, you know, whatever that's. I bought it at 189 and sold it at 250. It's at 25. My 5,000 shares I bought at 189, I think, or 4,000 shares was $8,000. If I didn't sell that, that's $100,000. So it's not always good to trim like I'm doing, but I am. I know. Uh, I just feel like I have like AQMS is a metals play on electric motors. I'm not selling it, but I'm just like getting a little tired of it. Six. I kept saying to you guys, six and 60, six yeah. and 60. Yeah, you were saying that. Dude. Why'd you say? Oh, yeah. it doesn't look, this does not look encouraging. Yeah, the six and 60. Yeah, I'm down 12% on it. I mean, I'll tell you when I have losers. There was a period of time where I had no losers, like literally. And six, six is a loser right now. Um, it's down 12%. So if I had to talk, let's, I mean, I'll look at my biggest losers. Let's do that instead. That's probably better. Okay. So I'm not including options because options I'll, are, are binary for me. I'll either lose hundred percent or have a 500% gain, but six is down 12%. Um, and win is down 15% basically. So those are the two losers that I see in my portfolio, um, that I'm not ready to give in. I'm not ready to throw in the towel. Yeah. Uh, you you inspired me. I'm gonna go look at my biggest losers right now. Um, I'm sure PSTH is probably one of them because that one's a dog. Um, uh, I don't know. I just bought Airbnb. Timing wasn't maybe wasn't great on that one, but um, yeah, a lot of cannabis is not, a lot. Of, I'm I'm mostly in the right today, right? <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> it goes. Um, the way it goes sometimes. And, and selling covered calls is a way to get some income. If the stock falls, you can. Um, you know, own the stock or what have you. You own it anyways. Someone sold Airbnb. I think sometimes, guys, um, you have to like take a step back and accept that you may not know. Like, so I still own Leslie Pool Supplies. I'm up nine percent. Okay. I, I originally bought double the position. I had half the position left. I'm not selling it because I'm looking at six months from now. How is the company doing? I think it's doing fine. <clears throat> I think it's doing fine. I think it's doing great. Like Penn National, um, it's $72. Penn National is either going to go to 85 or it's going to go to 65, guys. Like that's just what's going to happen. Um, and so some of these stocks, I just, GAN is an opportunity. Eli, I believe in. Um, and, um, and yeah, I do believe, like my one that I'm down the most in today I think we'll be back up. So I, I haven't sold, but we don't all have we don't have crystal balls for the daily movement of a stock. That is what I want people to get. But you 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 can have a crystal ball for the long term trends on a stock. Like I, my Generec buy was in the beginning of COVID, and I bought it because people who had heart conditions had ailments. If their power went out, what would they do? They would have to go to a hotel or go somewhere else, and they and they couldn't. So 
um, Generec was an easy buy in the beginning of COVID. All right. Then my thesis changed because when COVID was slowed down, why would you need Generec? But then I was thinking, hey, whenever there's a storm and well, we talked about this as well, Jason. Do not forget, we are just at the start of hurricane season here. Right. There is a seasonality. I pointed this out a couple of times in the last few weeks here. You know, the July, August, September, October trade in Generac. Not every year, but, you know, zoom out, you go back far enough. More often than not, it's hard to look into this because it's the last year was so crazy. But more often than not, in that hurricane season, there is a trade to be made. I mean, you, you don't have power. Joel doesn't have internet, apparently. I mean, it's like a whole – I don't know what happened over there because you, you guys got hit by a storm, but I, I'm the I'm the next town over, and I didn't get hit. Hunter, it's crazy. The, so. busy, the busiest streetlights in my area, Telegraph and Maple, Telegraph and, um, you know, Long Lake are out. Like big six-lane – you know, I have to drive through it. I'm like, it's like, you're, it's like, it's like, yeah. you know, when, you know, Tony Robbins had this thing where you run across fire on your feet. I feel like when I'm going across the road, I'm <laughs> like, try, I'm trying to avoid getting like smashed, yeah. you know? And, and, and we live one town away from each other, but like my town, I, I don't even think I lost power yesterday. Oh no, we, we will be out of power until at least tomorrow, at least until at least tonight, they say. So um we're out of power my my the house i'm staying at is on a generator like i said um so gan i think gan's a fine level to get into gan again is a long-term thing behind the thing i think it gets taken out all right adam kaufman is the co-founder and ceo of arbor crowd let's talk real estate investing here adam uh first explain arbor crowd what you guys do and we'll get into the mechanics of the market what's going on yeah so we are a commercial real estate equity crowdfunding platform we raise money from what's called retail investors online. So think of meme stock and that the whole movement that that brought into play with the rise of the retail investor through accessibility, through the internet, um, through online uh, platforms. That's what we do. We find uh, multifamily, particularly workforce housing projects across America, traditionally one of the most stable asset classes to exist um, for a while and uh, essentially offer that out to the crowd. Um, for investment. Uh, there are a number of real estate investing platforms out there, crowdfunding or, or otherwise. Um, what makes Arbor Crowd different than the fundraisers of the world? That's just one I picked off the top of my head, but there are there are several of them out there. Yeah. So essentially before crowdfunding, you know, access to commercial real estate investments was pretty difficult. Uh, you either invested in the REITs stocks, um, obviously subject to securities, um, or you had to have access to private equity funds. In um, about uh, when the Jobs Act was passed in 2012, uh, it gave rise to the ability to generally solicit to the public, and you had the rise of commercial real estate crowdfunding, like other crowdfunding platforms, Kickstarter, different industries. Um, real estate was one of them. A yep. lot of different. Anybody could create a website and offer real estate essentially, um, and call themselves a crowdfunding platform. So there are hundreds that exist. Um, a lot of them operate in a tremendous gray area, but only a few legitimate. Um, so today, even the legitimate ones operate under very different models. So you have fund models, you have individual deal models, and then you have marketplaces. We offer individual deals uh, to investors. We think it offers in that model, it gives investors the greatest amount of transparency. Something that we do that's a little bit different is we actually close on those transactions prior to syndication. So it's de-risked and it's a high level of information that investors have at their fingertips to ultimately make those decisions. And we have chosen to focus exclusively on multifamily projects, bread and butter of the industry, 
workforce housing. Everybody in America needs a place to live um, and very stable. What is the relationship between uh, uh, Arbor Crowd and the Arbor Realty Trust, which is a REIT? Yeah, so we are one of the first institutionally backed and institutionally quality crowdfunding platforms um, out there. That's because of the synergies that exist between us and Arbor Realty Trust, the publicly traded real estate investment trust. Uh, we have shared leadership. We do operate as standalone separate companies on opposite sides of the cap capital structure, but we have a tremendous amount of experience and access to quality sponsorship and deals because of the synergies and relationships and leader shared leadership that does exist. So ABR, Arbor Realty uh, Trust, is a REIT that invests in in, in real estate on, and then independent of them, uh, Arbor uh, Crowd is similar in mission, but it's making different investments and it's crowdfunding. Yes, yeah, so we opposite, uh, yes and no, we, op we operate on different sides of the capital structure. So they're a mortgage REIT. Uh, they have a large bridge lending platform and they have an uh, Fannie and Freddie. So they have agency licenses uh, for permanent financing. We offer equity investments. So a borrower comes to the REIT looking to uh, close a loan and they don't have enough equity uh, to get there. They need an extra three, four, five million bucks to get there to get that, that deal done. That's when they turn to the crowd. That was precisely why I created the company when I did, because I, rec I recognized that there was a need in the market for that capital. Um, so we close that gap um, on the equity side and oftentimes the REIT does the financing for the deal. So where are we right now, Adam, in the real estate market? Because you know we've all been reading the headlines. Oh, the average median home selling, uh, median, median home prices, more than the average medium, uh, you know, annual salary in some places, right? Uh, or average income, right? So market's on fire, we know this, great time to be uh, in the market as a seller, not so great if you're a buyer. Um, how is all this shaped out on your platform? Not only that, you also have a tremendous supply shortage uh, right now. So yeah. that's even driving prices up tremendously. But what that's doing is strengthening our uh, our investments in that people can't afford to buy homes. So they're renting, um, whether it be multifamily projects or single family rental uh, communities or build to rent communities. Those are hot. Those are on fire because people are being priced out. Adam, what, are, what what is the screening process like for when you're looking at investments? Great question. Thank um, you. We, uh, we offer a very thorough uh, screening process. A lot of our deals are with uh, very long time and long term industry veterans that we've had relationships with for years on the REIT side. Um, so they have a tremendous amount of experience. Then we have a proprietary model and underwriting um, approach to how we look and analyze deals. And then we have a tremendous amount of experience amongst our leadership to make the final decision in an investment committee. Uh, so there's a lot that goes into it. Um, we you know, have that proprietary method, but most importantly, we have experienced sponsors, experienced partners that we're working with. Who, who is this for, Adam? So this is for the accredited investor, somebody who makes $200,000 or more a year, 300 combined, a million outside of their home um, of net worth. And essentially, our minimums were twenty-five thousand at the start. Um, depending on the deal and how much capital raising uh, we're doing at a time, that minimum can fluctuate. But it's somebody who has, you know, significant income coming in, but wants to take their portfolio into their own hands and wants, you know, direct access to specific deals. Would you would you consider opening up to non-credit investors in the future? Is that on the table? 
We've thought about it. And I think a lot of the industry had gone there, especially in 2013 when the reggae plus model had gotten very popular. I'll let you uh, in on a little insider information in that it's incredibly expensive to acquire investors. And the amount that you have to put into acquiring somebody who is going to invest $1,000 versus somebody who's going to invest $25,000 is virtually the same. So you have to be smart and understand your costs and recognize that at the end of the day, if an investment goes south, with a, which a lot do on these platforms, so it's incredibly important to know who you're partnering with because of the lack of experience that exists out there, who's going to really come after you with a class action loss? So it's going to be that true retail investor who has no experience and probably has not much else in their portfolio um, making an investment because they were they saw an online ad that you targeted them through. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I- Go ahead, Aaron. Um, I just had one one final quick question, Spencer. Um, so Adam, you, so you mentioned that it's mainly you know multifamily residential uh, real estate. Have there been any discussions of getting into other sorts of commercial real estate, such as you know office space or maybe even um, you know retirement living, senior living? There has not been actually um, a little bit. I mean, there's some senior living stuff that comes across my desk, but not uh, we haven't we haven't dabbled. Um, I think the main thing really comes down to the fact that we know our expertise. Right. And we recognize that our expertise is in multifamily. We're thankful for that. We've chosen that because it's also the bread and butter of the industry and tends to you know, act as one of the stronger or more stable performers when things go wrong in the economy. Um, so, you know, that's our experience. That's our expertise. A lot of these platforms out there that are trying to be experts in everything and have formed their companies in the past four or five years. It's impossible. It's impossible. So you really got to screen and, and, and be cautious. So, so you're sticking to the bread and butter. Got it. Yep. And then a qu- one more from our chat here, as far as what are the tax implications of, 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 of investing with you guys? Yeah. So you, you can, you have the same tax implications that you have with traditional real estate investments. Um, and you know, I think people just need to understand it. They need to go to their accountants, make sure they're doing it the right way. Um, and basically on their tax returns, we don't give tax advice. We're very careful about that. Um, on their tax returns they make sure they do the right thing. All right. Adam Kaufman has been on with us. He is the co-founder and COO of Arbor crowd crowdfunding real estate. Um, you know, maybe just one more before I let you go. Uh, what are your overall thoughts on the real estate market right now? Just in terms of like the investment market, right? The, the public side, the capital markets, right? REITs, REITs, or and and, and that such. Uh, I mean, you can take that to interpret residential or, or, or commercial or, or or whatever. But like, what are your overall thoughts on on the real estate sector right now? The market's super hot. There's a lot of capital on the sidelines. Interest rates are low, so it's very. Active. Where's all the money on the sidelines coming from? Yeah. It's, it's true. Listen, I think even with COVID, what happened, right? It wasn't a real, real true recession the way people thought it was going to be. There was a lot of money pumped into the economy. So there's a lot of money there um, to be invested. There's a lot of institutional capital, um, a shortage of supply. Costs have gone up, although I think that will normalize in the very near future. Um, as people get back to work, you'll get, you'll get people back working on building projects, operating them, um, which will be tremendous. And we're at the top. We're at the top of the market. There's a lot of competition um, and people just need to select wisely. All right. Adam Kaufman, co-founder and CEO of Arbor Crowd. Thanks a lot, Adam. Thanks for having me.